Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, it is awesome to be here online, in person, grateful for you. You know, something amazing happens when God tells you to preach through a book of the Bible. First thing you do, obviously, is you open it up and you begin to kind of pour over it to prepare. And invariably, you will come across a passage or a verse or a topic that it was up to you, you probably wouldn't randomly pick that verse or that passage or that topic. In fact, every once in a while, you'll come across a passage that's kind of intimidating and kind of controversial. And in that moment, you kind of have one or two choices. I would break them down into faith or fear. Faith is believing, God, there's a reason that you said we needed to go through this book of the Bible in this church in this moment. So we're going to preach through it and believe that it's really going to help us. Okay, that's faith. Fear says, well, that's really controversial. Dude, look at him go, man. You're just flying. You're the man. I can't even run like close to as fast as that. That's terrible. Good job. Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, fear just says this. That's scary. Let's find another book of the Bible to go through. And throughout my life as a preacher, I've always chosen faith. Now, I bring that up because we're in this book called 1 Timothy. And the last five verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2 are probably the most controversial verses or among the most controversial verses in the Bible. So we're going to jump right in, and we're going to have such a good time. You're going to love it. Okay, before I do that, real quickly, just a little bit of context. Remember, what we call the book of 1 Timothy is actually a letter. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a pastor that he was mentoring named Timothy. Timothy was pastor of a church in a city called Ephesus. Interesting, too, because Ephesus is a lot like this city we're in, Chilliwack. About the same size, just over 100,000 people. A lot of diversity in the city and in the church, which is to be celebrated. But in the Ephesian culture at that time, there was a lot of division, a lot of forces of division that were threatening to divide not only the city, but the church. I think we can relate to that in our culture today, a lot of forces of division, right? And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and he says, hey, we need to embrace and celebrate the diversity, but stop the division. And it's really cool, too, because Paul's saying, it's important, you know? Like, what we don't get to do as followers of Jesus is just go, man, this church thing, it's too challenging. Paul says, no, like, you can know God all on your own. You can find freedom all on your own. You can change the world all on your own, but not to the degree that you were born to, not to the degree that you were created to. That we need to live life together in God's family, in the church. If we really want to know God fully, if we want to find freedom completely, if we really, really want to change the world. So it's worth fighting for unity. Without further ado, 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 12. You ready? I'm ready-ish. Okay. <clears throat> I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. You're like, I thought you said this was controversial, Mike. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing 
if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Thank you so much for coming today. Whether you're online or in person, I hope you have a great afternoon. So this passage, it's been used throughout history to justify something called patriarchy, which is gender-based imperialism. Okay, patriarchy says this, men need to lead. Men get a voice, men have wisdom, men have leadership, and let me think, what could women do? I have an idea, this is what women could do. They could step back, sit down, and shut up. It's gender-based imperialism. For their own good, they can step back, sit down, and shut up. Okay, so, what do we believe? We believe that if anyone is marginalized, we all lose. That if anyone is silenced, we all suffer. Let me say that a little bit differently. There are men in this church, you have incredible gifts. Man, it's awesome. Like You have the gift of leadership and wisdom and teaching. And I would encourage you, no, I would implore you to use those gifts in your family, in our society, in this church. We're so grateful for you. We're cheering you on. And there are women in this church, and you have incredible gifts, leadership, wisdom, and teaching. And I would encourage you, I would implore you to please use those gifts in your family, in society, and in this church. We are cheering you on. We need you. Say, okay, Mike, that's neat. That's a, like a really neat little thing you said there. But let's talk about 1 Timothy chapter 2. Okay, let's talk about 1 Timothy chapter 2. So remember, it's not a, well, we call it a book, but it's actually a letter, right? It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Timothy's pastor in a city called Ephesus. Okay, and Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis. And this place was crazy. Like upwards of four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. Massive. And people would flock literally from all over the world to the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians. It was actually a source of great like, financial gain for the people of Ephesus because people were showing up from all over the world uh, with money to give sacrifices and whatever. So who exactly was Artemis? Well, Artemis of the, of the Ephesians morphed a little bit throughout history. She took some influences from the Greeks and then from the Romans. But around the time that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, here's what we know about Artemis. Okay, She was the daughter of Zeus and the twin sister of Apollo. Really interesting story, by the way. Uh, she was born a couple days before her twin brother Apollo and was a, uh, apparently a really early bloomer because she actually helped her mom deliver her twin brother, which is quite amazing. She's a goddess. They can do stuff like that, I guess, okay? And so, important, by the way, she was born when? Before Apollo. Important, okay? <clears throat> so she was known as the midwife goddess or the goddess of fertility. So if you wanted your crops and herds to prosper, you worshipped Artemis. If you were lonely and wanted to meet someone, you would worship Artemis. If you wanted to have a child become pregnant, you would worship Artemis. And if you were a woman, and this is really important, if you were about to give birth, you were pregnant and about to give birth, and you wanted to be safe, because can we be truthful here for a second? One of the most dangerous things that anyone could ever do throughout all of human history would be a first century woman giving birth. So they had every reason to be concerned, every reason to look for something that would keep them safe. If you wanted to find someone who could keep you safe through childbearing, you would worship Artemis. 
really interesting temple, right? So here's the temple of Artemis. And so you, you live in this culture where really at that time, women were sort of seen as property, as kind of valueless. And yet in this one temple, in the temple of Artemis, they were elevated. They taught that, that, that women came first, right? Artemis first, then Apollo. And men came second. So in the temple of Artemis, uh, the, she was served by priestesses. Now, you could be a priest. This is interesting. You could be a priest in the temple of Artemis, but to do so, you needed to be a eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, don't Google it. Ask your mom, okay? So, <laughs> but but to, 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 be a pre, you, you, to be a priest in the temple of Artemis, you had to be a eunuch, and I read a couple historians who said you actually had to, if you wanted to be a priest in that temple, you had to perform the operation yourself. It's quite a job interview right there, okay? So, so what's happening in this church, in this city called Ephesus, is there is a woman, or perhaps a group of women, that are saying, hey, Jesus is awesome. We love Jesus. He's so great. Forgiveness of sins, power to change, purpose, the promise of eternity. However, women, we need a little bit more than Jesus. We need Artemis. Okay? And so women, when they worshipped Artemis, they, they kind of had an inside track because they could do their hair just like Artemis did her hair. They could wear expensive clothing just like she did. They, they could wear the same jewelry modeled after what Artemis wore, really expensive jewelry. And so these women were standing up in church saying, yeah, this Jesus thing is great, but women, we've got a bit of an issue here. We need Artemis to help us. We need Jesus, yes, but we also need Artemis. And so Paul's standing up going, it doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. It's Jesus alone. We said it a couple weeks ago, remember? That salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed by the Bible alone, for God's glory alone. That's it. Paul says, this particular woman who is getting up and teaching that, she can't do it. In fact, he goes as far as to say, she needs to learn. She needs to learn that Jesus is with you through every moment, through men, for men and for women. You see, what a weird church, Mike. What a weird city, you know, where people are bringing, like, different religions into the church. Yeah, it is kind of weird, but I, I was trying to think if I could think of an example that would apply to the church in the Western world today. And, of course, I thought about the most dominant religion in the Western world today is the religion of materialism, right? We were all raised in it. Materialism says this, salvation comes through affluence. The right car, the right house, the right trips, the right stuff. Okay, salvation comes, salvation is affluence. So your savior in the religion of materialism is what? Money. Now could you imagine a church in which you preach Jesus but you also preach materialism. Could you imagine that ever happening? I can, happens all the time. Here's how it works. You stand up and you preach in 2021 in a world that was raised in materialism and you say this, I've got the best news that you could ever hear. Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, power to change, purpose in our lives and the promise of eternity. And you look at people born and raised in materialism, and they look back at you with a dull, 
bored look, saying, really? That's it? Yeah, forgiveness of our sins, power to change, purpose in our life, and the promise of eternity. And they go, I thought you said this was good news. Like, And then what we're tempted to do as preachers at certain churches is we are tempted to then go, oh no, but wait. But wait, there's more. There's more, there's more, there's more. Um, Jesus will also make you rich. And then people go, well, that's more like it. That's good news. You understand? So back in Ephesus, they're saying, uh, we need Jesus plus Artemis. There's a temptation in the Western world today to say, we need Jesus plus money, plus materialism. And you see how that road goes? They they, they call this movement, there's a movement, and it's called uh, name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Right? Jesus wants you to be rich. If you have enough faith, you will be rich. You understand that works, right? Because now I can look at you and I can tell if you have faith or not. How? If you're rich, you have faith. That's it. We can come up with a new seating arrangement in the church, right? If you drive a Ferrari, front row. You ever drive a Ferrari? Okay, you're good. Okay. Um, if you drive a PT Cruiser, I hope no one here. To, anyways, it's too late. <laughs> right there. Okay, makes sense. And if you can get off the JV into the varsity, you know, get a little bit of faith, you can move on. You can move on up. Jesus plus materialism doesn't work. Right? That's why it's funny. It doesn't work. Jesus plus Artemis doesn't work. So I'm like, doesn't Jesus promise that uh, he'll bless us in whatever area of our lives that we trust him? He will bless us. Yes, he will bless you. Well, how's he going to bless me in my finances if you're saying that he's not necessarily going to make me rich? Oh, it's way better than rich. He's going to give you love. Can you imagine? No, can you imagine in a materialistic world that Jesus could actually give you love? When it comes to your finances, you say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. All of a sudden, my life become, becomes about giving, not getting. Could you imagine that? I'm way less stressed because I'm not so much worried about my standard of living as my standard of giving. And yeah, it's true. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you insight. He's going to give you self-control. And along the way, you might receive, you might get blessed with money. And the great thing is about love, love says, I'm blessed for what reason? Why am I blessed? Why am I blessed? To be a blessing. That's why. Can you imagine living a life where you really understand that? What else does he give you? He gives you joy. In a world where it's so easy to think, man, I don't have enough. I just need a little more, 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 and it's never enough. Jesus says, no, it's going to be good. A deep, abiding Joy. Contentment, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Could you imagine a life of contentment? How awesome is that? I give you peace. I give you a life of peace. Living in an anxious world, we're anxious about a lot of things. One of the things we're, an- one of the things we're anxious about is money. Can you imagine if we could really, really take it seriously that Jesus says to you, and he says to me, I got gotcha. you. It's going to be okay. Hey, I'll tell you what. I look after the birds in the air, and I look after the flowers in the field. You're gonna be just fine. 
That's it. That's it. Paul is saying Jesus plus nothing. Jesus alone, Christ alone is enough. And what makes me kind of sad is that either consciously or subconsciously we have people throughout history who have taken 1 Timothy chapter 2 out of context and use it to justify genetic, or <laughs> genetic, yeah, not genetic, gender imperialism. Patriarchy. Jesus never said that. Like, if you really, really look at the teachings, at the life, at the story of Jesus, what you will find is Jesus always and continually elevated women. So I'm going to talk about that for a bit today. Jesus elevates women in the family. He elevates women in society. And he elevates women in the church. See, the story of Jesus is found in the New Testament Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's so cool because if you open up to the, to the first page of the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, it starts out with a genealogy. Now, a genealogy is just like so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so talks about your dad, your grandpa, your great-grandpa. You know what's insane? <clears throat> is that in the, genealogy, in the genealogy of Jesus, five women are mentioned. Ruth, Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Mary. You're like, so what? Oh no, that's crazy. It's so crazy. In that culture at that time, you wouldn't put a woman in a genealogy. Why? Who cares? Like, what do I care who your mom was? Like, it's so irrelevant. I don't care who your mom was. Like, I'm somewhat interested about your great, 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 great grandpa. Now that means something because he's a man. I don't care about your mom. Women don't matter. But if you read through the genealogy of Jesus, what you will see is they matter to God. And then Jesus grew up, became a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. He's the only rabbi ever that preached to men and women. Brothers and sisters. Husbands and wives. Sons and daughters. Women flock to come hear Jesus teach. And they're all mentioned in the gospel accounts, which is crazy, because no rabbi would ever mention women in, 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 the, in the accounts of his teaching. Why? Who cares? Like, what do I care if you taught a woman? It doesn't mean anything, because she doesn't matter. But to Jesus, evidently, she does. It's really, really important it's really important that we understand that Jesus elevated women in the family. Let me put it this way. If, if you are a married guy here, or if you're a guy who will one day be married, I got some really, really great insight for you. Ready for it? You might want to take notes on this. This is like profound. Okay, here it is. <clears throat> Write this down on a piece of paper. My wife is smarter than me. My wife... I had a feeling I'd get an amen. Uh, my, my, my wife is smarter than me at some stuff. Important, right? At some stuff. And I'm smarter than her at other stuff. Here's what I mean. Can you imagine being in a marriage where you said, hey, here's the deal, sweetheart. Um, I'm, I'm the leader. I'm gifted. I'm anointed. I got wisdom. I got a voice. 
Here's what you need to do. You need to step back, sit down, and shut up. Imagine that marriage. See, I started asking myself this week, what would my life be like if I had told Corinne way back when, here's what I need you to do. Step back, sit down, and shut up. Now, provided that I was still alive, which is very, very unlikely, okay? Here's a couple things to think about. Number one, if, if I've achieved anything in my life, I would, uh, would have achieved a shadow of anything that I've accomplished in my life without Corinne. I've told you before I struggle with insecurity. I have struggled throughout my life with insecurity. Corinne does not, okay? She's one of the most confident people I have ever met in my life. I'll give you a story. We're three months into dating. We're at Trinity Western University, and one day I'm walking around Trinity Western University, and I'm thinking to myself, one of these people is not like the others. Like I was a brand new follower of Jesus, and I just didn't fit in. I didn't feel like I fit in. I felt like everybody there was a saint, and I was a sinner. Everybody there was perfect, and I was just like far, far, far from perfect. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going back to Red Deer. So I walked up to Corinne. I remember where we were on the lawn at Trinity, and I said, hey, here's the deal. We're breaking up. I'm done. It's over. And she looked at me and she said, well, that would be the biggest mistake that you've ever made. I'm like, interesting, but <clears throat> I have a speech here that I'm prepared. Okay, so uh, I'm heading back to Red Deer. We're not going out anymore. Uh, I'm breaking up with you, whether you think it's a mistake or not. And she said, I'm the best thing that ever happened to you. Are you crazy? <laughs> and, and, and listen, and I believed her. Important, because throughout our years together, over and over again, <clears throat> I've come into moments in my life when I've said to Corinne, I can't do it. I can't overcome this. I can't stand. I can't make it. And she's looked at me and she said, oh no, with God's help, with God's help, we can do this. And I believed her. What if I would have told her, sit down and shut up? What would my life be like if I would have told, provided I was still alive, if I would have told her that? Um, I would still be living in a townhouse on First and Coot. Now, incidentally, if you live in a townhouse on First and Coot, it's awesome. Nothing against that. But there was eight of us. It would have been really, really cramped. But for me, I'm a creature of habit, right? I get really comfortable with stuff. It's just like, this is my routine. This is my place. This is my couch that we got given as a wedding gift 13 years ago. And so, and I just, and I, and, and, and I, and I, and I like it. But Corinne had this vision for building a home. And, and, it, and as our family grew, she had an idea, and, and so we moved. What would my life be like? Oh, I wouldn't be here. There's no way I'd be here. Not a chance. See, I was 38 years old, living my best life, coaching basketball, teaching history, athletic director, academic vice principal, just loving life. I was approached to become the youth pastor of Southside Church. And I thought it was so funny, I wasn't even gonna respond. And then I went to my small group, and they're like, ah, oh, you should pray about it. And when small group ended, I remember walking up to her and going, I should pray about it, as if. And she's like, no, Lo, we really need to. She said, I think we, God might be asking us to move. And I believed her. 
I don't know exactly what my relationship would be like with my kids without Corinne. I'm a really, um, I'm a pretty intense person. I'm pretty driven, I'm pretty focused, I'm pretty intense. What do they say, like, I don't have a lot of chill? <clears throat> I don't have a lot of chill, I just don't. And when I try to have chill, I'm like trying really hard to have chill. So then it's like, you're not even chill when you're trying to be chill. Like, you know what I, it's just, it, it, okay. And, and, and I wonder sometimes what it'd be like if, if it was just me raising the kids. No chill, Mike. Because Kern has a lot of chill. <laughs> Kern's really relaxed. And we're a great team. So here's what I would say to you. Every man, every woman, young or old, you're a team. You didn't marry another version of you. Thank, literally, thank God. You're a team. See, Jesus came and he elevated the status of women and families, but also in society. One of the most powerful stories in the entire Bible is the story found in John chapter eight. It's called The Woman Caught in Adultery. Just an incredible story. Jesus is teaching one day and some patriarchal religious Jews drag a woman caught in adultery in front of Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. And the law of Moses says that we get to stone her now, i.e. we get to throw rocks at her until she dies. So can we get after it? Can we start throwing rocks? What a weird concept, right? The woman caught in adultery. What's adultery again? It's, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm from Red Deer. I didn't really get the greatest education, but I think what it is is uh, it's having sex with somebody you're not married to, right? And I'm not a PhD in biology, but as far as I know, sex takes two people. So there she is, where is he? Why, why just drag the woman? In that culture at that time, listen to me, why just drag the woman? Because who cares? Who cares about her? We got a point to make here. We're gonna make a point. And who cares what happens to her because she doesn't matter. And so they look at Jesus and say, hey, I, we, can we start throwing rocks at her until she dies? And Jesus looks at these patriarchal religious Jews and he says, hey guys, I have an idea. Hey guys, I have an idea. Whichever one of you has never sinned, you throw the first rock. Do you understand the power of that statement? Jesus says, hey guy, hey man, hey patriarchal dude, your sin matters just as much as her sin. So if you've never sinned, have at it. But if you have, shut your gaping pie hole and go away. My translation, okay? And then Jesus looks at her and he says, like she, was, <clears throat> she was dragged into the courtyard, right? Full of shame, like a piece of nothing. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they're all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I 
condemn you. Hey, go now and leave this life of sin. See, Jesus elevated women in society. I guess what I'm getting at is this. Can you imagine a world, can you, ma- can you imagine a society, can you imagine a church, a church in which we've said, <clears throat> men, men have a voice. Men have wisdom. Men have a platform. Men have leadership. But women need to step back and sit down and shut up. We don't want to hear it. And can you imagine in that context a woman stepping up and saying this? I'm being abused. My, My children and I are being hurt. My children and I are being neglected. Would you please help me? What? Who cares? Who gave you a voice? I don't have to convince you. There's dozens of people watching online or in person today, and you would look back at your life, whether you're a guy or a girl, you would look back at your life and say, I have pain in my life, I have trauma in my life, I have suffering in my life, because my mom tried to protect me, tried to protect us, but wasn't giving a, given a voice, correct? Correct. Can you imagine a church where women weren't given a voice? See, that ain't us. So I'll just be really real. If you're a, a woman and you are being hurt currently, or you, are, you're, you and or your children are being hurt, we want to hear about it. And we're not going to tell you to sit down and shut up. We're going to make it stop. With everything we got inside of us. See, we got people getting saved at this church every week which is great because we got some guys here, they're barely saved. You know what I mean? (laughs) And we'll go send them to have a talk with that guy. (laughs) Jesus elevated women in the family. He elevated women in society. And, listen, and he elevated women in the church. Because there's this weird argument that says, yeah, 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 women, women are, are great in the family, they're great in society, but just in the church, sit down and shut up. But that wasn't the message of Jesus. I, I don't have time to go through all the examples. There's one really cool one in John chapter four. Jesus walks up to this well, and, and he talks to a Samaritan woman, and she's shocked that Jesus would even talk to, him, talk to her. Because he's like, can you get me a drink of water? And she's a Samaritan, and Jews didn't even talk to Samaritans. They hated them, and they definitely didn't talk to Samaritan women. But he does, and they get into this really deep theological talk, right? Get into this really deep theological talk. And eventually, this Samaritan woman, this is what she does. She's like, are you going to be here for a while? Can you, just, can, 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 can you just stay right? Can you hang out right there? And she goes back to her hometown, and she says to everybody, you got to meet this guy. He told me everything I ever did. And they all come back, and they listen to Jesus, and, and, it, and it says in John chapter 4 that many put their faith in him that day. The first missionary of the church was the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Or how about this? The first sermon ever preached after Jesus was resurrected. You want to hear about it? Because it's such a cool story. The first sermon ever preached after Jesus rose from death to life. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 8. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary 
went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and then he sat on it. So cool. Anyways, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Go to Galilee. There they will see me. The most important sermon ever preached was preached by those two women. Just think about this culture at this time. Why in the world, out of all the people that God could have chosen to be the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, why two women? Like, who cares? Who cares that two women say they saw something? Who would listen to them? Women don't matter. It seems like they matter to God. And they get to preach that sermon. Can you imagine that sermon? He is alive. He's risen. Like the stone is rolled away. The grave is empty. He's alive. Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated. Darkness has been defeated. Despair has been defeated. He is risen. Imagine. That's the greatest sermon ever preached right there. Preached by who? Two women. Everywhere, everywhere that Jesus went, the status of women was elevated. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, everywhere the message of Jesus was preached, truly preached, the status of women has risen. One of the early church leaders was a guy named Peter. He said this, man, if you don't treat your wife well, if you don't honor her, if you don't respect her, if you don't cherish her, don't expect God to listen to your prayer. And Paul? The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, you know what he said in Galatians chapter three? There is now, there is now no Jew or Greek, there's no more slave or free, and there's no more man or woman. We are all one. See, here's the thing. When anyone is marginalized, we all lose. When anyone is silenced, we all suffer. So guys, can I tell you something about you? It's really good news. You were created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, by a God who does not make mistakes. Man, you're so valuable. By the way, not based on some arbitrary comparison that you make to any other person or group of people. You're just valuable. You're incredible. You're gifted. You're worthwhile. Why? Because Jesus says so. He loves you. You know what's crazy? He placed you on this planet for a reason. To make a difference. And I don't know exactly what role he's going to have you play. Maybe husband, father, friend, 
leader, follower, boss, employee, teacher, student, preacher, listener, I don't know, but I do know this, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so excited that one of the roles that God has asked you to play is to be a part of this movement, to be part of this family, to be part of this mission called Southside. How incredible is that? And so I just wanna take a second right now and I wanna encourage you, no, I wanna implore you. Man, let your voice be heard. Let your voice be heard. Let's see those gifts in your family. Let's see those gifts in society. Let's see those gifts in this church. We can't be everything that we were created to be without you. We rejoice in you. We're so grateful for you. Hey, women, young and old, I want to say something about you, and it's good news. You know that you were created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, by a God who does not make mistakes. You're so valuable. Not based on any arbitrary comparison to a person or a group of people, but because God says you are. Jesus died for you, he rose again for you. You're gifted, you're worthwhile, you're amazing. And what's so cool is that you were placed on this planet to make a difference. I don't know exactly what roles God's gonna have you play. Wife, mom, friend, leader, follower, boss, employee, teacher, student, preacher, listener, I don't know, but he does. And I'm just so excited and so incredibly, overwhelmingly grateful that one of the roles that God would have you play is that you would be here. A part of this, this mission, this movement, this church, this family called Southside. So I would encourage you. No, I would implore, implore you. Let your voice be heard. Man, we need you. Your family needs you. This world needs you. And specifically, let me be very clear. This church, if we want to be everything that we were created to be, if we want to make the difference that we were created to make, oh, you better believe, you better believe we really need you. First Timothy, chapter 2, starting at verse 12. That's it. Let's pray. Just want to take a moment first with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. <clears throat> I want to speak to everybody online and in person right now in this kind of moment of personal reflection. I want to ask you a question. How are you? How are you doing today? I wonder if you feel overlooked. I wonder if you feel marginalized. I wonder if you feel silenced. I got good news. Man or woman, young or old, I got great news for you. God loves you right now. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he loves you fully and completely right now. Can you believe that? That he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that your sins could be forgiven and to rise again for you so that you could have the power to change little bit by little bit, purpose in your life and the promise of eternal life. It's incredible, it's incredible. And so before we go any further today, I wanna to give you an opportunity. If you've never said, Jesus, I accept that gift that you purchased me through your death and resurrection, I wanna give you the chance to do that right now. So whether you're online or in person, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, could you just raise your hand if that's you right now? And I wanna pray for you, it's amazing. Amazing. Nice and high if you don't mind, I'm half blind up here. 
That's so cool. You can put your hands down, whether you're online or in person. I just want to ask you if you could just, as I pray out loud, just pray silently along with me. Jesus, thank you that you notice me, that you see me, that you care, that I matter. So right now, Jesus, I want to thank you that you died on the cross for me. I pray that through your death, that you would just give me forgiveness. I hand you my, sh- my sin and my shame and my regret. Thank you, take it. But I'm so thankful, Jesus, also, that you rose again for me. So today, Jesus, I ask that I would rise too. You would give me the power to change. And help me to have the realization that my family needs me, real me, that this world needs me, real me, and this church needs me too. I trust you today, tomorrow, and forever. And for all the rest of us, God, I pray that we would be a church that would just celebrate each other, to celebrate every voice that you've given, that you've called to this mission and this movement. We're so blessed. This crazy, incredible family of yours and this part of it called Southside, I pray that we would be a place where every voice is heard, where every voice is heard. In your name, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, I love you guys a lot. We will see you next week. Have a good one. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.